Well, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Special happy Mother's Day to my mom, who's hopefully watching. That's how we boost our views on our BCC live stream. No, I'm kidding. So glad that you are joining us today. If you are visiting and you are here, um, either with your mom or, or with your family, just want to say welcome to you. So glad that you're here. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, and today we're in Ephesians chapter 5, so I want to invite you to go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. As I think about the way that I was raised, I'm really grateful for both of my parents, and one of the things my mom did really well was she invested in my sister and I a love and a dependence upon God. I remember daily we would have devotions, we would go through the scripture, we would pray together, pray for the needs of others, trust God for things, and really see the faithfulness of God in operation in our lives. And I'm grateful for that type of upbringing and grateful for that type of investment. And I want to go in that spirit into Ephesians chapter 5 because I think that's the heart of the Apostle Paul here as well, where he's investing into the church in Ephesus a deeper dependence upon God. And he's wanting them to truly be anchored in what is right so they can clearly see what really matters. Because there were a lot of voices out there, much like there are today, and those voices are trying to distract us, get us off track maybe get us to start looking to ourselves. There was a particular kind of teaching that was very popular in Ephesus during the writing of this letter to the church in Ephesus, and this belief was called Gnosticism. And what the Gnostics would teach is they would elevate wisdom above everything else. Wisdom is key. The more enlightened you can become, the closer to God you are, the more spiritual you are. And they valued wisdom above everything. Everything else was secondary, and, they, and it honestly didn't even matter because wisdom and knowledge and acquiring that spiritual knowledge was supreme and that's what the Gnostics were teaching and Paul wanted them to understand something that yes wisdom and knowledge are important but there are also other things that matter a great deal in the life of a Christ follower because if our hearts are truly going to be submitted to Christ it's not just going to change what we know it's going to change how we live and how we continue to live throughout the culture that we're living in amen it's not just about something I know, it's about actually what I do and how Christ is transforming me, and it's not just more knowledge up in my head, because anyone can become really, really smart, really, really wise in their own eyes, but then in practice, not truly live it out. So in that spirit, let's read Ephesians chapter 5. Let's go through the first 17 verses here together, and then we'll back up and we'll talk about it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints." Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become part partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
For the fruit of light is found in all things that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For if anything that becomes visible is light, therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is the idea of us living in a culture and in a system and in a society that is not conducive to honoring Christ, but yet we're supposed to honor Christ in the middle of that culture. And so we're living in this world, but we're not supposed to be of this world. And he names some things specifically here. He talks about sexual immorality. And that word sexual immorality can be summed up by the Greek word porneia. It's where we get that word pornography from that we use in the English language. And that encompasses all types of sexual acts that are done both in a marriage uh, relationship and outside of a marriage relationship. The sexual immorality in the marriage relationship would be that of adultery. So it encompasses and includes adultery. The sexual immorality outside of marriage is anything that is sexual outside of the safety and the bonds of covenant marriage. That includes things like homosexuality. It includes things like pornography. It includes anything that would be used as sexually immoral that, would, that was actually used in Ephesus as idol, idol worship. It's idolatry in the eyes of God because it's elevating sensuality above pleasing God. And this is what the Gnostics were teaching, and this is what Paul is trying to help the Christians understand, and what I believe the Holy Spirit wants his church to continue to understand as well. And that is that we are living in this culture, but we're supposed to be living separate, and what we do in our bodies matters a whole, whole lot. Amen? I mean, what we do with our bodies matters a great deal, but the Gnostics said, all that matters is knowledge. What you do with the body, eh, God doesn't care. Go and just fulfill all of your sensual desires. And Paul's going, no, that's not okay. I know that the world says it's okay. I know that the culture says that it's okay. I know the culture wants to normalize it, but God is saying, you're not supposed to walk in darkness. You're supposed to walk as children of light. It matters a great deal what you do with your body. It's supposed to be an instrument used for the glory of God, not just for your own selfish gratification. And this is what Paul's trying to help the Christians to understand. And as you grow in Christ, you should be transformed in the way that you live, and so things in you should be changing. In other words, if you've truly encountered Christ, you cannot help but be different than you were before you met Jesus, amen? He transforms us. It's the work of the Spirit in us that does something in us that produces fruit, evidence, fruit of the Spirit of God living on the inside of us that actually shows up in a life that is transformed, a mentality that is transformed. So many times we try to look for where God and popular culture agree. Folks, can I tell you that we cannot use the scripture to try to condone pop culture, 
We have to use the scripture to learn how to please and glorify God and to serve him and to be faithful to him, amen? Not to find out how God and culture can be bedfellows because this world has a way, this world has a system, a way of thinking, a way of acting, a way of behaving, and God has a different way. It's very different from the value system. It's very different from the culture of this world. And Paul wants the church in Ephesus to understand what matters to God, and it's a lot more than just what you know. I know a lot of people who think that they're really, really smart, and they know a whole, whole lot, but what is the fruit of a life that has been impacted and encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ? You see, church, Christianity is initial repentance and faith followed by continual repentance and faith. That's what Christianity is, if you want to sum it up. Yes, there is an initial place where I I repent and I believe, but it doesn't stop there. It's not like God goes, okay, you repented, you put your faith in Jesus, good luck with life, do what you want to do. No, it is a continual deepening of my, my faith. It's a continual evaluating of where I am and how I'm living and how my life should be more and more running concurrent and in agreement with what the scripture says so I can learn how to please God, how to serve God, how to submit to his way and not my own way. That's why even the way Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. What's the next part? Help me out. That's right. Thy will be done on earth as it is. So that means that my way doesn't matter when it comes to what God wants for me. I can't go, well, God, I think that it should be this way. God doesn't go, well, geez, I never thought about that. You got a point. No, it's, it's us submitting. That's what submission is. It's me saying, Lord, not my will, but your will, because I know what you want is better than what I could come up with on my own. That takes trust. That takes faith, because then I have to believe that what God says is better than what the world is offering or what I selfishly want to be true. Oh, don't shout me down this morning. I know this is a traditional Mother's Day sermon and all. Um, But it's this idea in culture where people think that because it feels good or because I want it to be true, it must somehow be true because how could God be this way and this way and this way and and I just don't like God being that way or I don't like that the scripture says that. God never asked your opinion. God did not consult humanity on what was right and what was wrong. God did not consult humanity on what gratification of your flesh you wanted to put on the approved list in the Bible. He says you were bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. And this is a continuation from the thoughts that Paul wrote in chapter 4 when he says walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. This is part of walking worthy is continually deepening my faith, and my repentance. Yes, it is an initial trusting in Jesus, but it is also a continual trusting in Jesus. Yes, it is an initial confession of Christ, but it is also a continual confession of Christ. 
Yes, it is initial repentance, but yes, it is also continual repentance. I can't tell you, folks, man, when I, when, when I feel convicted by the Holy Spirit or God brings something to my heart and illuminates something, I want to repent. And that means more than just say I'm sorry, right? That means to turn. That's what that word repentance means. It means to turn. That means I'm forsaking something that I used to hold dear. I'm, I'm letting go of something that I used to embrace. That means my values. That means my mentality towards things. And that may mean things even that I want to be true, but I'm willing to give up what I've come to believe for the truth when the truth is based on Scripture in the very Word of God. Amen? Because when I come to a crossroads with what I want to be true and what God says, there's an arm wrestling match. And can I tell you, God's going to win? God's going to win, but people don't want God to win. They get angry at God for the things that they want to be true, the things that they wish the Scripture didn't address, and we look for ways and we look for loopholes. But when I truly submit to Christ, when I truly submit to him, I'm not looking to justify my flesh. Instead, I'm saying, Lord, you teach me, you show me. Amen? I'm not looking for a way to make all of these things okay that the world would want to just rubber stamp. No. I mean, people would say, oh, pornography's not a big deal. Everybody does it. It's out there. No, no, no. It is a big deal. It is a big deal. And I know that people wrestle with it. I know people that struggle with it. But at the same time, to just be okay and want to rubber stamp it with, oh, it's okay, it's not a big deal. Hey, God says it's a big deal. God says it's a big deal, just like Jesus said, it's a big deal when a man looks upon a woman with lust in his heart, right? It is a big deal, and I want to submit to what he says. Paul is trying to convey this because he wants us to grow in spiritual things and to grow in what really matters. There is no authority, listen to me this morning, there is no authority greater than Jesus Christ in the life of the Christian. There is no greater authority. That may mean that the government may want to go one way. Well, what does Jesus say? Because whatever he says matters more than what any other authority would want to say in our lives. Amen? So that means I'm not going to look to the world to find out how to live. I'm instead going to look to Jesus because he is my source for everything. Amen? And when I live that way, it helps me to navigate the challenges of my day. It doesn't mean that it's not difficult, because it is. It is. Even when you try to be a peace bringer, even when you try to be a bridge builder, even when you try to be understanding, there are those who will still want to demonize you because you are choosing to follow Jesus. And in that moment, you have to make a decision is Jesus worth it? And can I tell you that he is? Can I tell you that he is? When you face persecution, when you face judgment, when you face be, uh, the threat of being ostracized from your circle of friends, can I tell you Jesus is worth it? And Paul actually talks about that. So does Peter. He counts it as suffering with Christ. Let's read Ephesians 5, 18. Let's pick this back up. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, 
giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here he says a lot. He says, listen, don't be drunk with wine. He's saying, but instead be filled with the Spirit. It's interesting that he likens this being filled with the Spirit to being drunk with wine as he pits these things as this dichotomy against one another. And it makes me think about what does wine in excess do to a person? It really gets them out of the driver's seat of being in control and now that substance is in control. Isn't that what often happens? Your judgment is now impaired, it's changed by that substance. And he's saying instead of allowing that to affect your judgment, allowing that to affect your behavior. Instead, be filled with the Spirit so that the Spirit can control your behavior, so that the Spirit can control and lead your judgment. If you're gonna submit to something, don't submit to this substance. Instead, submit to the Spirit. And he said, and when you do that, you're actually going to begin to submit to one another as well out of your love for Christ to where instead of you insisting on your own way and being concerned about your own priority, you instead are going to be more concerned about serving one another because you love Jesus. And that's the motivating factor. You're doing everything you do as unto the Lord. He's not saying submit to each other in the sense of obey each other and, and, and make sure that you do exactly what everyone always says, whatever they tell you, if they're your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, because if that's the case, I wanna tell you guys, go wash my car, go clean my house, you know, go cook my supper, and you have to submit. We have to submit to one another. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about giving directive. He's talking about the way we serve each other. And if you look at the greater context of Ephesians we can go back and we can see the same idea reiterated about how there's unity in the body when we all work together and serve together as Christians when we serve one another. And this is what he's talking about here in the context. Submission to Christ does this. It empties me of myself in order to be filled with his spirit. When I am full of myself, I can often get drunk on my own ideas. And I will make bad choices because I'm the one who thinks I know better than God. And folks, can I tell you, I don't. I don't know if that shocks anyone here, but I don't know better than God and neither do you. We have to trust in him and we have to, he says, continually be filled with his spirit. And he tells us here some ways that people are filled with the spirit of God. He says, through addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's something that he's mentioning here that we need to do as Christ followers. This is part of submission to Christ. And that is recognizing what he's done and being thankful for that. You know the power of thankfulness. You know the power of that aspect of worship where we just simply thank God for who he is and for what he's done. What's the greatest thing that you and I could thank God for? Sending his son, Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, amen? When I do that, I'm reminding myself of the gospel and I'm reminding myself of my need. And when I'm reminded of my need and Jesus being the one who meets my need, then I can begin to develop a heart and an attitude of thankfulness 
an attitude of gratitude, and you know it's true because it rhymes. When I begin to have a heart that is thankful, it changes my priority, and it changes the things that I think are important in my life that I used to pursue. The ideas that I used to elevate, all of a sudden my ideas submit because I'm thankful for who he is and my thankfulness is changing the orientation of my heart. My thankfulness for Jesus is changing the way I interact with people. Maybe before Christ, when someone would cut me off in traffic, I would behave one way and you wouldn't have been able to tell that I was a follower of Jesus by the way I reacted or I behaved. But because of Jesus, I don't know how to take that. (laughs) But after I've met Christ, I think about things a little different. I do. I think about things a little different. Someone wants to start an argument on social media. Hmm, I think about that differently before I jump down that rabbit hole because so many things have been settled by social media. I mean, so many people have just come together and loved each other more. There's been so much healing in the world because of, because of conversations that have been had on social media. So much healing. Oh, wait a minute. No, we know that that's not true. We know that We can get sucked up right into it just like those who don't know Jesus. But then what's the difference between us and them? Where we park our car on Sunday? What's the difference between us and them? There should be a difference in the life of a Christ follower. The difference should be the fruit that we're producing in the way that we live, the way that we love the way that we serve each other, the things we say yes to and the things that we say no to, the things we stand for, the things that we anchor in and the things that we're willing to lose for. That's the difference in the life of a Christian. Our rhythm should be different. Our priorities should be different. And the world should be able to see that as should those who we call fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And we get weary when we live in a world that is anti-Christ, don't we? I mean, let's just be honest. I get weary. You get weary because it seems like oftentimes you, you, you're great here, right? You're great on Sunday. Like this is, this is like a good time right here just to kind of, whoo, all right, all right, here in the word, worshiping with brothers and sisters in Christ, This is a time where I'm around like-minded believers. We may not agree on everything. We may not see everything I die. But the most important things we we agree are the most important. And we can kind of go, all right, I'm with like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ. And then you leave. And you wish you could take Josh and the worship team with you. You wish you, could take, you wish you could take the service with you. You wish you could take your life group with you. You wish that every, you could just always be surrounded by that. And, and, and we think that that's the answer is if I could just be surrounded by more of this environment. But listen, that's just not reality. Reality is, is that you're going to go work for that boss who's not a believer. Or you're going to go back home to that spouse who's not a believer. Or you're going to go back and have to interact with that neighbor who's already got a little bit of tension there and they're not a believer. And you're going to have to work uh, in that factory with those unbelievers or in that restaurant with those unbelievers or in that office 
with those people that don't know Jesus and are constantly spewing out filthy things and talking negatively and talking perverted and all these things. And you're going to have to go back into that environment and figure out how you're going to respond, how you're going to live, how you're going to navigate that situation. And oftentimes we can get weary in that. That's where Paul understands that the Ephesians are dealing with the same thing. He knows that the people that are worshiping the goddess Diana are out there. He knows that that's the most popular thing to do. He knows that the Gnostics are out there teaching this hybrid of gratify your flesh and become smarter and, 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 and know more about things and mysteries of God so that you can somehow earn God's love, God's favor. He knows those things are out there. He knows those teachings are out there. And what's he trying to do? He's trying to help people be equipped to live in a world that is anti-Christ by telling them you need to be filled with the Spirit, not drunk with wine. That's not the answer. Being filled with the Spirit is the answer. And how am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to be grateful. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to fill myself up by asking God to fill me with more of Him. Lord, I need you today. Lord, I need your Spirit in me. I need to be that light in the workplace that's going to shine bright in the darkness. I want to be that person, Lord, who can be a representative of Christ, even if it costs me something. Even when it becomes challenging and difficult, I need you, Lord. I, I, I need you to help me today. And, and we're going to read next week in Ephesians 6 about the armor of God, because the next thing Paul tells the church at Ephesus is to put on the armor of God, because he wants us to be equipped, thoroughly equipped, to love one another, to serve one another, and also to deal with the pressures in this world. Out of love for God and for one another, the Christ follower is called to submit to Jesus and called to submit to one another. And now Paul is going to transition into talking about submission, and he's going to talk to them in, by using family examples. He's going to talk about marriage, he's going to talk about children and parents, and he's going to talk about slaves and masters, which the bondservant in this text is referencing what would have been a house slave. And he's talking about a Christian who is, who is a house slave, how they are to act, how they are to interact, with the person that quote-unquote owns them because that was part of the culture of that day. Now, we don't have slaves and slave owners and things like that, and so I think this could best be interpreted by us looking at how to be Christian employers and Christian employees um, because we're not dealing with that particular subject. So with that in mind, let's continue to read Ephesians 5. 22, we're going to go all the way through chapter 6, verse 9, and that's where we're going to stop today. Ephesians 5 and 22. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man." knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. This is a good sermon. All right, you guys have a great day. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, we'll talk about it. Here, Paul deals with three things. He talks about marriage. He talks about children and parents, and he talks about bondservants and masters. And the Christian should view responsibility differently than the world does, amen? The world wants to view responsibility and authority to rule, to control, to lord over, and can I tell you, that is not biblical. Christian leadership the type of leadership that Jesus modeled is what kingdom, spirit-filled leadership looks like, and it's servanthood. The husband serves his wife by loving her in a sacrificial way. He likens the way that the husband is to love his wife as the way that Christ loved the church. That is a heavy responsibility. Amen, wives. <laughs> Amen. It is a heavy responsibility. And women want their husbands to lead spiritually in the home. But oftentimes, it's been left up to a lot of God-fearing, God-loving, Bible-believing women to have to take up the slack and make sure that there is some form of pursuing Jesus in the home. Because the enemy has attacked men and he's wanted us to feel like we're not good enough and like we somehow don't have what it takes and we've got so much baggage ourselves that we advocate the responsibility in leading our home spiritually. And can I tell you, sir, that is unbiblical. It is your responsibility. The tone in your home, the temperature in your home that should be set for loving Jesus and a family that is committed to Jesus is the husband's responsibility. And you should set that tone as a husband and love your wife as Christ loved the church. That means washing of feet. Amen, ladies. All right. Christ loved the church. He's, he, he gave himself for the church. He did not give him... Listen... The husband does not do this because his wife deserves it. Because the, we as the body of Christ, as the church, we don't deserve it, do we? No, we get it because it's grace. 
The husband does not do this because his wife deserves it, but he does it because he submitted to Christ. The wife submits to her husband because she is submitted to Christ, not because her husband deserves it, not because he's a man. That's not the issue here. The issue is responsibility and roles. She is not subject to him, but rather they are to be one another's helpmate. And it is her love for her husband that comes from her love of Christ that causes her to respect him and support his spiritual leadership in the home. This is supposed to be a harmonious relationship, not a better than one another competition relationship where men say, well, men are better than women. Or women say, no, women are better than men. No, that's not how God created us. We can look at the creation account, male and female. He created them both in his image, amen? And so we see that there are different roles. There are different responsibilities that were given, but we can also see that they are equal, but we can see the role of making sure the tone that should be set for spiritual leadership is the husband's responsibility. And the wife's spiritual submission means she delights in supporting the husband, taking the lead and initiating, leading the family towards Christ. Not being passive, not being someone who says, oh, you do it, or the wife having to drag the husband to church, or to drag the husband to to pray, or to have to always uh, just wear down and nag the husband to lead the family in spiritual things, but to where he willingly takes that role, not passive, not disengaged. She delights and she flourishes and can use her gifts in the family alongside him to be able to continue to point the family to Jesus. That's what God's ideal design is here, not that one person's lording over another, amen, somebody. You see, the same is true of parents and children. This is the same idea. And remember, he's using these family illustrations to communicate a submission and a trust in Christ and his leadership in the middle of a world that has gone awry. The same is true of parents and children. Parents, do not bully your children into submission. That is not Christ's way. Where we try to intimidate our children. Christ is not trying to intimidate us in order to get us to follow him, amen? It is not something that we, we are browbeating and we're using intimidation tactics. No, we're not bullying our children into submission. We're loving our children into submission. That's why here we see that the children have a responsibility, but do, so do the parents. It says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. We're not wanting to just keep pushing and, and, and provoking them to anger, but we're bringing them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That's part of our role. The same is true of Christian employers and employees. He says, when you do your work, he's not approving slavery here he's not rubber stamping the idea of slavery he's just saying if you're in that circumstance if you're in that situation which is a reality of that day in that culture he said this is how you are to navigate it even though you are in a situation where your will matters very little in that home and you're having to do for another you do what you do as unto christ oh that means if you're working for that, Christ, that, that non-Christian employer and they're making your life difficult because you're a Christian, yeah, you could get another job. That is an option, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't. 
but perhaps you need to ask yourself, has God called you to be there and to work there and whatever work you do, you do it as unto the Lord to where you're not gonna go and run your mouth about the boss or that coworker or that manager, amen? Because what you're doing, you're doing it as unto Christ. You're not doing it for eye service. So they'll think you got it going on because you're, you're, you're doing a good job, but then you're bad-mouthing them behind their back. No, he says, not as eye service. Anybody can do that, but from the heart, because you're serving as unto Christ. Even when it's unjust, even when it's unfair, you're still doing what you're doing as unto the Lord. This is how the Christian is called to live in all of this is about submitting ultimately to Christ. Because he said, this is the mystery here. The mystery is profound. He says, verse 32, the mystery is profound. I am saying this refers to Christ and his church. He's talking about you and me as the body of Christ and he's using family illustrations to help us to understand how we are to submit to Christ. Submission to Christ means this. And we could spend a lot more time exploring these scriptures and a lot more that I can and will teach you as the months and years go by. And so I'm sorry if we've kind of gone through some of this rather quickly, but the point, the main idea of what Paul is trying to say is that submission to Christ means I stop making an idol out of my way. It's no longer my way. Instead, I say, Lord, it is your way. And we submit to Christ and one another as a response to the gospel. This is me responding to what Christ has done. That means that if my way is different than God's will, that I submit and I say, Lord, not my way, but your way. That I understand that his thoughts are higher than mine. That I understand that his ways are higher than mine. And culture may not agree. Your feelings may not agree. Actually, a lot of times your feelings won't agree. Let's just be real. <laughs> but my feelings have nothing to do with it. God's not saying, well, how do you feel about this? I hope it's okay. God didn't consult us on how we felt about what he said in his word. It requires us to trust. It requires us to trust that what he has for us, that what he wants for us, that what he has commanded of us, that what he expects from us is better than our idea. That's what real submission is, is saying, Lord, your thoughts are better, even though I don't see it right now. Because in the human value system, we think more is better, right? And then God commands us to give. Well, that doesn't make sense. How about I hold more for me and God says, no, give. And when I give of my time, when I give of my talent, when I give of my treasure, when I give, actually, I feel like I'm losing, but in the kingdom value system, the kingdom of God, I'm actually storing up treasures in heaven. Well, I just need me time, right? And I think about me and myself and I, and, and, and what about me and and, and when instead I give myself away, when instead I deny my flesh, when instead I do things for the glory of God that may cause me to lose, I'm actually gaining in eternity. That's, that's a hard thing for us to wrap our minds around. That's why we've got to be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> that's why I need brothers and sisters in Christ to help me to be filled with the Spirit. He says, he says, make melody in your heart. Sing songs, spiritual songs. That's what we're doing together. We're, we're, we're being stirred up, as Paul tells Timothy. 
We're being filled. We're, we're being encouraged because there's a world that we have to go back out into because we can't just take this with us all the time. And I have to submit and trust because I know that what he wants is better than what I can come up with on my own. I'm submitting to Christ in response to the gospel. It is what Christ has done that I could not do for myself. And the angriest people in this world are the ones who elevate their thinking and their ways above God's. They want God to be directed by culture and what they think is right and wrong. But instead of us doing that, we have to submit and say, Lord, not my will, but yours. Amen. This is spiritual submission to Christ. And we need help with this. We can't do this on our own. So would you pray with me today? Lord, we know we all wrestle with this. We know we all struggle with this. And we have a tendency to to want to elevate our ways and our thoughts above your ways and your thoughts. And Lord, when we run across difficult texts in Scripture, it would it'd just be easier for us to just try to explain things away and skip around and jump over it or try to find loopholes. But instead, Lord, I believe that as we just trust in your word, as we trust in what you've said, even when it's different from what we would think or what we would want, help us to submit to that. Help us to release our ideas. Help us to release the things that we've thought were right and true and help us to embrace your word as the only source of truth and of faith and practice. Help us to grow in Christ-likeness and in godliness. Help us grow in submitting to one another. Help us to grow in our submission to Christ no matter what circumstance we may find ourselves in. And may we be that light in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me today? Before you go, if there's anyone here today that perhaps you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior, I want to invite you to do that. I want to make myself available. I'll be down over here by the baptistry. And if you would like to talk about that, I would love to pray with you. I would love to encourage you. If you're online, please shoot us a message if perhaps God's doing something in you today and you just don't know what it is. Communicate with us. Let us know that because we want to pray with you. We want to be able to connect with you. We want to help you grow on this spiritual journey and to be confident that your faith and your trust is in Jesus. I hope that you have come here and that you've been challenged, that you've been encouraged, that perhaps you've been stirred up, you've been poured into, and I pray that you take that out into the world and you can be that salt and you can be that light as we're continuing to be transformed by the power of the gospel. Happy Mother's Day, everyone, and thank you for coming today to worship with us at Bettendorf Christian Church. You are dismissed.